Thank you for singing. Joel and Becca, thanks for leading. And Sharon's home with the flu. So you're wondering where she's at. But this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Jonah. That little tiny book near the end of the Old Testament. We're going to continue in our study of Jonah where this morning we're in chapter 2. Last week we talked about how the one thing that most of us know and remember about Jonah is that there's, there's this story in this book someplace about this guy that gets swallowed up by a giant whale. And then after three days, the whale miraculously spits him out of his mouth after Jonah has been inside the belly for three days. And Jonah is still alive. And beyond that, most of us are not quite sure what else is in this book other than that story. And yet after all these years, even though we still don't know who wrote the book, and we still don't know when the book was written, But we're confident that because it is in the inerrant and infallible inspired word of God, it has a message for all of us. So our responsibility, therefore, is to discover what is God asking us to do? What is he asking us to do with these lessons that we learn in the book of Jonah? And how do we apply these things to our life? Now, before we go any farther, I need to take a step back and correct something that I said last Sunday. I made a statement last Sunday that went something like this. Other than inside the book of Jonah, the name Jonah only appears one place in all of Scripture. And I gave a reference last week to 2 Kings 14.25. Let me say this. Yes, Jonah's name does appear in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, but his name also appears in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus uses the story of Jonah to compare with his own upcoming death, burial, crucifixion, resurrection, that whole, the truth about Jesus and how he was in the grave for three days. And even though I know, well, yes, I can say even though I know, and last Sunday I can say even though I knew that was in the Gospels, I completely spaced that off. I forgot all about that when I said that his name only appears one time. So I stand corrected. And thank you to the people who reminded me of those verses. This is what Matthew says. If you keep one hand there in Jonah chapter 2, with your other hand, let's turn quickly to Matthew chapter 12. I just want to read that for us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 41. This is what... This is how Matthew recorded the conversation of Jesus when he's mentioning the name Jonah. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
So let's go back to Jonah chapter 2. The primary teaching of the book of Jonah is this. For us to experience the grace of God in our lives, while at the same time we have little or no desire to tell others about what God can do for them in their lives. I don't know how to describe that. It's some sort of unspeakable tragedy. Now let's just think about this. Well, for us to understand what God has done in our lives, and now he has been so forgiving and so kind and so gracious, and yet we run around and we mingle our lives with people who have no faith in Jesus, and we never say a word. For us to experience the grace of God in our lives while at the same time we have little or no desire to tell other people about what Jesus can do in their life. It's a tragedy. I don't know how else to describe it. As people who profess to have faith in Jesus, we can, by not doing anything, Prevent God's grace from having an effect in someone else's life. We can, by not doing anything, prevent God's grace from having an effect in someone else's life. Somebody has to go across the street and tell those people. Now, we have a lot of ministries going. I mean, Christianity itself and all these wonderful organizations, we have a lot of ministries going. And I, I've often used the illustration, you know what? There's that family across the street that doesn't know Jesus. We can take hot dishes over to them until we run out of pots and pans. But unless somebody talks to them about Jesus, they are never going to end up in heaven because we take hot dishes over to them. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody has to Share the good news of Jesus with them. God expects us. I believe he expects us to be involved in other people's lives. And he for sure expects us to be involved in people's lives who don't know Jesus. How else are they going to know? He even expects us to be involved in other people's lives, those people who ridicule us for our faith. He expects us to be kind and courteous to those people as well. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this, and if I remember this over the next few weeks, we're going to ask ourselves this question every week. If God is concerned about the people in our lives who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, why aren't we? If God is concerned about those people that sit next to us at work or sit next to us at school or that family that lives across the street. If God is concerned about those people, why aren't we? So now, you still have one hand. I don't know how many places I've told you to look. We're in Jonah chapter 2. Let's stay there for a minute, okay? Jonah chapter 2. Now, there's an interesting thing here in Jonah. We're going to read chapter 2. It only takes one minute, but we're going to read... Jonah chapter 2. Now, here's the deal. Before I read that, I want you to look in your Bibles. There is a footnote next to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the last verse in 17. And there is a footnote next to verse 17, chapter 1, that says something like this. Some Hebrew Bibles include verse 17 with chapter 2, or something like that. So this morning, when I read Jonah chapter 2, 
We're going to put it in reverse. We're going to back up, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 17 of chapter 1. Because in my mind, verse 17 of chapter 1, and you can think about this this afternoon, verse 17 of chapter 1 does belong in chapter 2. And I don't know how we ever got publishing Bibles that left 17 with chapter 1, but here at Crosspoint, we're moving that into chapter 2. So let's begin, Jonah chapter 1, 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now I want you to picture this with me in verse 5. Jonah says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bar closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. In Jonah chapter 2, we discover that God has sovereignly orchestrated all sorts of details for this giant fish to swallow Jonah as a way to get Jonah's attention. Now here at Crosspoint, we believe that God is in absolute control of everything that happens. There is nothing that happens outside of his control. Now, people don't believe that only at Crosspoint. I've believed that for the last 30 or 40 years. So it's nothing special about Crosspoint. I just want to confirm, that's what we hear at Crosspoint. We believe that God is in absolute control of everything that happens. There is nothing that happens outside of his control. Now, when I say that, our minds begin to wander. They flash back to a situation. Because we've all had things happen in our lives. We have. We're trying to figure out how. How does that become part of God's sovereignty? How, how is a God who's in absolute control of everything that happens? How does he allow something like that? I'm here to tell you, I don't. I believe that there is a God and that he loves us and, he is, and that he is in absolute control of everything that happens. And I believe that there is nothing that happens outside of his control. But I also believe there are many, many times where things don't make sense to me. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that God has to explain it to me 
why he's doing what he's doing. I report to him. He doesn't report to me. So let's just say, think through this again. We believe that God is in absolute control of everything that happens. There's nothing that happens outside of his control. When Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish, it didn't just happen. That didn't just happen. Those guys didn't just throw him overboard and, and, it, and by accident or something, this giant fish was there and swallowed. No, 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 no. This is no coincidence. This is no accident. It was the sovereignty of God. Now, let me give you a few verses. If you nothing else, write these references down, and then when you go home this afternoon, underline these verses in your Bible. Exodus 4.11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We believe that God is in absolute control of everything that happens, and there is nothing that happens outside of his control. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115, no, no, no. Psalm 135.76, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. We believe that God is in absolute control of everything that happens. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his ways. But the Lord establishes his steps. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning. Now just hold, let's just hold on a minute. Declaring the end from the beginning. God knows the ending before there even is a beginning. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And then one verse from the New Testament, James chapter 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, and I'll tell you one thing before I even read the verse, every person in this room has been guilty of these verses. Every person in the room has been guilty of this passage from James chapter 4. Have you ever got up in the morning and said, well, this is what I'm going to do today, and then tomorrow I'm going to do that, and you know, on Tuesday, everybody in the room has done that. Look at what God's word says, James 4, 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Here you are, you're going to give me your plans for all next week. You don't even know what's going to happen today at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're trying to tell me what's going to happen next week. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Things don't just happen. God is in absolute control of everything. God always has a plan and a purpose. And God's plan and his purposes do not have to make sense to me. That's not part of the deal. Many times things do not make sense. But God is still in control and he still has a plan and a purpose to everything that happens. God doesn't report to us. We report to him. And so when Jonah is thrown into the sea and he's swallowed by a giant fish... It's all part of the sovereignty of God. God had a plan and a purpose. And if you and I, if Gary and I would have been standing on the deck of that ship when we threw him over and we saw this big 
whale or whatever it is, this giant fish, if we'd have been standing there and we saw this giant fish come and put his, his mouth, you know, with eight-foot jaws and all, and we saw Jonah get swallowed up, one of us would have said to the other, well, that's the end of Jonah. I mean, what else would you say? That wasn't the end of Jonah. God in his sovereignty and in his power and his miraculous ability preserves the life of this guy, this sailor, and he lives inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then God speaks to the fish. He speaks to, do you understand? He speaks to the fish. Now, in this room, everybody knows English, and down the hall, everybody knows Spanish. God also knows fish. Have you thought about that? He can speak to the fish. That's the God that we love, and the God that serves, and the God that loves us. Now, I want you to picture this. We're going to walk our way through this. Under this big umbrella that we call the sovereignty of God, We believe the sovereignty of God covers everything. Can you picture that in your minds? There are four four general reasons, four common reasons why things happen that can sometimes cause us to wonder about the sovereignty of God. Here's the first one. We did something wrong and we're therefore suffering the consequences of our actions. You were late for work nine of the last ten days, and now you got fired. Don't blame God on that. Don't put that on him. You got fired because you were late for work nine of the last ten days. You have no one to blame except yourself. You failed your test at school because you spent all your time on Facebook and watching television And now you somehow want to blame God for the fact that you just flunked out of school? That's not on God. That's on you. There are sometimes things happen that are consequences because of the things we've done in our own life and we have nobody to blame but ourselves. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Okay, sometimes we suffer consequences in our life because of things that we have done. Number two, sometimes we suffer consequences in our life because of something that somebody else did, and because of whatever it is that they did, now I have to suffer the consequences in my life. Just imagine you're out shopping at the Empire Mall. While you park your car there, somebody runs into your car. There's a lot of damage, and they do not leave their name or their phone number. Now, you have no choice. You go watch the videos there in the security office at the Empire Mall. They can't, there's a, they can't picture anything. They don't know how that happened. Now, here you are. You're faced with a $500 or $1,000 deductible to get your car fixed. But besides that, now you don't have a way to get to work because your car's in the shop. Sometimes we suffer the consequences in our life because of what somebody else did. And now I'm suffering because of their actions. Here's the third reason why things happen in our life. 
Boy, I tell you, this one, of all these things, this one hits home to me. We're so busy going through life at 100 miles an hour, we don't have time for God. Are you kidding me? What do you, what do you mean you want me to go to church? I've got to work. What do you mean you want me to come to Bible study? I don't have time for Bible study. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to watch sermons on TV. I am too busy for God. I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. So God allows something to happen because it's the only way he can get our attention. All of a sudden for us who have no time for God, now we have a doctor's appointment. And the doctor says, I've got some bad news. You know what happens? Then, then we ask God for help. We didn't have any time for him before. Now, now we want him to help. The only way that God could get our attention was to allow something traumatic in our life so we could put life on pause and now focus on our relationship. This is what, exactly what happened to Jonah. He is so busy going through life at 100 miles an hour. He's going the wrong direction. He is trying to get as far away from where God wanted him to go as he could possibly go in order to intervene and get Jonah to slow down and pay attention to what God wants him to do. God creates this giant fish who can swallow Jonah and keep him alive inside his belly. God now, now, God has his attention. And from inside the belly of that fish, Jonah offers this prayer that we find in Jonah chapter 2. Now here's the fourth reason. God wants to be glorified. Sometimes... I do things in my life that cause consequences. That's on me. Sometimes somebody else does things in their life that cause consequences in my life. That's on them. Sometimes I'm going through life 100 miles an hour and I have little or no time for God. And the only way God can get my attention is to allow something to happen that will get me to pause and reflect on what's important. And the fourth reason why things happen that make little or no sense is because God wants to be glorified. It says in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, there was a, there was a misunderstanding back there in the first century. It was, it's what I call bad theology. The people who lived in and around Israel at that time thought that if you were blind, it was because either you sinned or your parents sinned. That's bad theology. It had nothing to do with this. As he passed by, it says in verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Had nothing to do with anybody sinning. It was all so that it could be used for the honor and glory of God. The Bible clearly teaches that God has the power to do whatever he wants to do, whenever and wherever he wants to do it. And even when all those circumstances make little or no sense to us, 
God is still in control, and he's still at work in our lives, doing what he needs to do to get his plans and purposes accomplished. The lesson for chapter 2 we find in this prayer, God is always one prayer away. Now look at Jonah chapter 2. Look at this just for a minute. Verse 3. Just imagine, just imagine you're going to change places with Jonah and it's you inside the belly of that fish for three days. This is what it's like. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. You know, I think that this verse 3 is still before he's inside the belly of the fish. I think he's still there in the Mediterranean Sea. The flood is all around him, and all your waves and your wind is passed over me. Then we jump down to verse 5. The waters closed in over my life to take my life. He's drowning. The deep surrounded me. Weeds. It's got to be seaweeds. You ever been in the ocean sometime where you get out and you've got these, I, I don't know how it works, you've you got a seaweed around your leg and it's hooked onto your ankle and you actually have to go down and pull that off? I mean, that happens. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. This is the author's picture that these mountains that are on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, the mountains actually originate down here in the bottom of the Mediterranean what he calls the roots of the mountains, the bottom of the mountains. That's where he is at this moment. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. From inside the fish's belly. So if you ever think you want to pray to God and you need to come to church, no, you don't. You can pray anywhere. God is always just one prayer away. For Jonah was inside the belly of that fish. Jonah remembers being thrown into the flood and he remembers the wind and the waves all around him. He remembers the seaweed that's wrapped around his head. He remembers going down to the bottom of the Mediterranean or as as he calls it, the foundation or the roots of the mountains. Now, let's answer this question. We'll bring it to a close. Why is Jonah in the belly of that fish? It's not because God hates people who disobey him. No, no, no. No, that's not it at all. God's love is constant. And it's not a part of God's nature to hate anyone. God loves people. That's why he sent Jesus. Jonah is in the belly of that big fish at the bottom of the sea with this seaweed wrapped around his head because he's been running away from God. And he said no to what God wanted him to do. And the only way God could get his attention was to have him swallowed by that fish. And now, here we are in Jonah 2. From inside the belly of this fish, Jonah prays. And God heard his prayer of repentance. And Jonah made a promise to obey. Verse 9 says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish. That's how we know God speaks fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land, 
And Jonah was reminded that God is only one prayer away. Throughout church history, it is our stories of God's intervention in each of our lives that have fueled the witness and testimony of the church. But here, let me close with this. Jonah shows us another side to prayer. He not only prayed to get out of the fish and to get out of the sea, but he also promised God that he would pray and worship him once he got back to dry land. Now here's what I wonder. How many of us have ever been in that situation where we made a promise to God, oh God, just get me out of this. Get me out of this and I'll go to church every Sunday for the next 25 years. Get me out of this and I'm going to Crossroads. I'm buying a new Bible next week and I'm going to start reading it. Get me out of this and I'm going to start putting money in the offering plate. God, just get me out of this mess. How many of us have ever been in that situation where we made a promise to God and then God delivers us from that big, ugly situation and we forget about our promise? Remember, no matter how difficult our life situation may be, God is always available for our prayers. But if we do pray, or if we do not pray, If we do not obey God in doing what he asks us to do, we are the ones. It's nobody else. It's on us. We're the ones who run the risk of forfeiting any hope of receiving God's grace. God is always just one prayer away when we need help. Let's pray. And we'll ask the ushers to come and take this morning's offering. Dear Heavenly Father, I think of of situations in my life and I think of situations that uh, that that I can remember people have shared with me. And God, you know all the details to all of these stories, and, and, and you know that some of us have gone through more difficult situations than others, but all of us, Lord, at some time have gone through a difficult situation. And God, some of us have made promises to you that we never kept. We never kept. I don't know whether we intended on not keeping them or we just promised it and we forgot, but God, I ask that you'd forgive us for our disobedience. Help us to understand that when we promise you, you remember And so, Lord, help us to remember those things that we promised. Help us not to reflect on the things that have happened that make no sense, but help us to reflect on the fact that you are still a God who loves us and cares for us. And you have a plan and a purpose to everything that happens. And God, that is the foundation of our faith here at Crossroads. Forgive us when we failed. Thank you, Lord, for this offering we're about to take. We ask that you'd bless each gift and giver. Lord, as we leave here this morning and go out back into the real world, help us to live our lives in a way that's different from the way most people live their lives. Help us somehow, some way, to demonstrate to the world that having faith in Jesus actually makes a difference in the way we live our life. So help us not to get all caught up in the culture and all the junk that's out there. But help us to live our lives day after day after day in ways that honor and glorify you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus.
Amen.